In this conversation, I'm going to be really open with you. I did not know that one conversation would literally change my life. There's been times that I've wanted to stop podcasting because it's a lot of work, but I got to episode 111 and I can honestly say the episode with Blair Wilson changed my life. Previously, I've spoken in support of mental health and talked a little bit about my own, but I've not really gone into detail because one, I just didn't know enough about my own to really vocalise it in a public arena like this. I think it's so easy just to generalize, but without taking time to really understand the reasons behind it. And I just didn't know the reasons behind my own challenges. And it wasn't until I spoke to Blair, who is autistic, that it just clicked for me. And there's things that he did that I do, like I present in a neurotypical way. Then there were some neurodiverse ways of navigating through the world in regards to relationships, communication styles, interpretations that I really resonated with. Sometimes in your own gut you just know and I just knew from listening to Blair that I was autistic and it kind of clicked to me about probably some of the reasons why I've had low moods in the past due to not being able to communicate in a certain way and be misunderstood in certain ways. In this conversation I'll go down the process of the diagnosis from talking to my doctor then to trying to find a way to do it privately. However I didn't want this podcast just to be a stream of conscious thought that had no context to people who may relate and may want to investigate further for themselves about what the best next steps are. In this conversation I speak with psychologist Joe Rodriguez just to have a professional involved to steady the ship. However Joe and I want to give a full disclaimer. This conversation is focused on my own personal experience of autism. It is not attempting to speak for the experience of every single autistic person because the autistic spectrum is far and wide. Every single autistic person presents differently. There will be people who have more complex needs than myself and we are in no way attempting to speak for those people or tell them how to live their lives. My only aim is to share my experience of discovering autism in my adulthood and hopefully can prompt people who may suspect that they are autistic as adults to know what the options are. This conversation was recorded during Mental Health Awareness Week in 2022. And the link is that because I didn't know I was autistic and it wasn't picked up early on in my life that it created challenges which then resulted in low moods. But because I didn't know, I couldn't pinpoint it. But now when I look back and I draw the dots, I can see the reasons why I had those periods of low mood. Regardless if you have a similar condition or you don't, I think sometimes it's the stories that we tell ourselves that get in our own way. And for example, one of the stories that I told myself before I put this podcast out was about feeling fear and shame about being autistic. But then I realised that I was just holding myself back by telling myself a limiting story in myself. You know, I'm not doing this for likes. I'm not doing this for your approval. I feel that Blair gave me a gift and it would be so selfish to keep that to myself. I'm just hoping that if what I say resonates with someone and it helps them, then I'm golden. And like I said, there's been times that I've wanted to stop podcasting because it's hard work. But each time that's happened, call it faith, the universe, God, whatever. There's always been someone that's reached out and I've seen in person and, and given me a kind word about the podcast and how it's helped them. Like I said, got to episode 111 and had the conversation with Blair. And also the serendipity of life of you know starting Instagram just to talk about, just to keep myself accountable about my running journey. Then connecting with Joe under straightforward psychology and... She is the one that I recommended alongside Autism who did my assessment for me and I'll put their details in the show notes. And it's the labels that we give ourselves that can really lift us up or bring us down. It could either be a superpower or it could be a limiter. But ultimately, it's one part of what makes me me. So 
I also want to say a big thanks to the sponsors of the podcast, Tracksmith. We've recently completed the Tracksmith Amateur Mile. Thank you to Andy Waterman for starting the idea. Thanks to Nick Willis for directing it, providing the training, talking to me on the YouTube series, giving advice and helping all the athletes work towards their personal best. Thanks to Kate Carter. Thanks to Ross Murray. Thanks to Russ Ashford and everyone that helped coach, everyone that came down to the sessions and created such energy. It was amazing to run, train with you. And even though this mile is over, May 12th, there's always gonna be mile races. It's definitely a part of my DNA now. I'm gonna keep doing more mile races, so on to the next one. But with that being said, let's head to the conversation with Joe and myself. Hi Joe, welcome back to A Runner's Life Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me back. I think I should get you some kind of gift because you've been on episode 69 and episode 83. (laughs) (laughs) Can't get rid of me. You cannot get rid of me. (laughs) Best guess. Oh, thank you. You got me some some, uh, sunglasses, you know, that's all right. When we did the other, the live. So I feel like I've been paid. (laughs) (laughs) Is that for life or is that me like for... (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I don't cost much. Get me a pair of sunglasses. That's it. I'll do what you want. No, like, no, I want shoes, kit, everything. <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> Jokes aside and free gifts, I'll have to look into that. <laughs> Can you give yourself an introduction to the guests that may not listen to those episodes? Yes, my name is Joe Rodriguez. I uh, On Instagram, I'm straightforward psychology and I'm a health psychologist by background. I work with people who've got physical health problems using psychological approaches, but also I I'm a sort of generic CBT therapist. So I work with people who've got anxiety, depression. And I I came online, I started doing Instagram, like a lot of people, I think, like quite a lot of um, psychologists and therapists I know, sort of in lockdown period where I was a bit inundated, let's say, with referrals. And I just felt this sense of like, people need more support than they're able to get. So I came online just to provide sort of basic information on things that people can do to look after themselves, look after their mental health, but hopefully do it in a way that is quite relatable and quite fun. And also I like to be a bit silly. So (laughs) I include a bit of that. But I think we we met, didn't we, through your um, your podcast, because also I've got a background, a long history in running. So I've been a runner for 20 years and I also, I do a bit of sports psychology on the side. So I work with a number of athletes. I sometimes incorporate a bit of that into my Instagram site just because I absolutely love running and I'm one of these really running nerds that could just talk about running for hours and hours, but that's not what we're here for today. (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll definitely go back and listen to those. And I I think I definitely use them like as an excuse just to get free advice. Especially the whole premise of my podcast. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's why you tap me up. You're like, uh, what do I... (laughs) Uh, oh yeah, Dave has a race uh, at Marathon. <laughs> you thinking about doing this? Dave sounds you... like you, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure we're not talking about you in this situation? <laughs> no, Dave in Southampton. <laughs> yeah. No offense to Dave in Southampton. <laughs> oh dear, it's all good. I like talking. It's fine, and I, and I like our I like our chat, so we're good. <laughs> And likewise, and yeah, the reason why I want to speak to you today was because I wanted to talk about Mental Health Awareness Week. Mm-hmm. Now, although it is a week, I mean, you can go down the, the bigger route and say like every day should be mental health awareness, like mm. your physical health, you should always be making that a priority. Mm. And the reason why it kind of stuck out in my mind was because I had a conversation on my podcast with a guy called Blair Wilson, who was autistic. Mm. And 
I really wanted to sort of dive into that and what it meant to me and be a bit honest about my own mental health journey and what I've learned through that conversation with Blair, which is really insightful. Mm. And I really wanted to have a professional kind of jump on board and steady the ship rather than it just be like a stream of conscious thought. <laughs> um, because I'm not an expert and I can only really talk about my own experience. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. But essentially from that conversation with Blair, who's autistic, I learned a lot of things from him that I could recognize myself. Mm. And actually I went on to discover that I was actually autistic as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a really insightful conversation and a really unexpected thing from having this podcast, from just thinking about talking about running to actually learning about a deeper part of myself and being able to kind of balance those things out, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And what a, like, what a wonderful thing to recognise, but also quite life-changing, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, going into the conversation with Blair, I mean, I had that kind of the misconception of what autism was, mm-hmm. was it either that you couldn't leave the house mm. or you were kind of like Dustin Hoffman in The Rain Man. Mm. Right, for those people who don't know that film, you need to Google it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's a, a certain like, age generation there that you're talking to. <laughs> like, what, Rain Man? Is that, is that a dance song? I don't know. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. That's fine. I get you. <laughs> I think David and Southampton also knows what he's talking about. I think he probably singer. does, yeah. <laughs> funny that (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I mean jokes aside I mean for me it's just about learning that autism has a massive spectrum Mm. and you can present different ways and you know still kind of not be recognized which has happened in my life and it can be misdiagnosed or mis uh, misseen as other things so um, yeah yeah, that's why I want to have you on the podcast just to kind of steady the ship it's really just thinking about for people who may recognize similar traits yeah what they can do moving forward based on what I did and yeah what Blair did as well yeah okay yeah I mean, what a like wonderful thing to talk about and thank you for inviting me to talk to you about it I think because the thing with autism and other neurodiversities it's not relatively new as in of course there's always there's been neurodiversity as long as you know there's been people but the identification of it is relatively new and so there are a lot of people who might be neurodiverse you know be on the autistic spectrum or or something similar but either not know or feel it but then not know what to do about it or not know where to go to get you know help and support or to learn about it a bit more and I think there's also a lot of mental health professionals that also aren't necessarily experts in it you know when I did my training for example I didn't have when I did my my degree my postgrad my diploma in therapy my postgraduate, any of those, I don't think I had any training in neurodiversity at all that I can remember. It it wasn't in any of my core training. So, um, and there's probably quite a lot of professionals. I think, you know, not all courses are the same, obviously, but I think there are a lot of professionals out there that haven't had a lot of training in it. So, um, it's something definitely that we're still learning lots about. There are obviously some great training tools out there now and subsequently, you know, there's lots of online resources and places that we can go to to learn about it but it's something you know that we're still learning about and which is great but then also can make it quite difficult for a lot of people so I think it's a really good thing to talk about it and also sort of help normalize it as well. Thank you for sharing that and just sort of talking about from the other side and because such a big area like Mm. like you're saying it's still people are still catching up mm. like yourself and other professionals and even I'm still trying to figure out from my side mm. <laughs> so it's a challenging one yeah 
Yeah, it is. You know, I do work with people who have autism now and I have then made a conscious effort to learn more about it. And something that I have learned from working with people who've got autism is that it, it is there is so much to learn about it. No, indiv- no two individuals with autism have the same mixture of or, you know, exact same presentation or, or it are, are affected by autism in exactly the same way. So there's a lot to do in terms of learning the basics of what autism is, but also just talking to people who have autism, I think is the, the best way to learn about it because then you see, you get a more real world experience of actually what, what it, what is it like to, to have autism? How, what's the difference in terms of, you know, understanding the world and people and interactions and life in general? Yeah, absolutely. And sort of thinking along those lines and some of my own experiences with yeah my autism is that because I guess it presents in a in such a subtle way mm. it can be missed and yeah. it then has had an impact on my mental health yeah but because I didn't know and the you know other people didn't know we were kind of in this sort of cycle of just maybe it's this or maybe it's that and it never yeah. kind of got resolved but when I was speaking to Blair mm. uh, there's a quite a few things that he said that it, you know sometimes you just trust your gut Mm-hmm. And I, there's things that he was saying about how he had like struggled in relationships mm. and the certain things. I was like, well, that sounds like he's talking about me. Mm. But then he presents in a way that he's successful in his work. You know, he is really focused his running, same as me. So on the outside, you think, oh, he's fine. You know, yeah. all his facial reactions present a certain way. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of similar to me. Like if I had a pound for every time someone said like, cheer up. Yeah. And all like that, you know, like. <laughs> But inside, like your face presents a certain way, but inside you're feeling could be different. Yeah. But that's like a sign of autism just because you, yeah. you have that flat look sometimes. Mm. I mean, but I think that the biggest thing was to go back to it was the relationship side when you talked yeah. about it. And yeah. I think other people who may struggle with that, I think hopefully they can kind of hear that and think, well, maybe it speaks to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, because the thing that I think I found most difficult about understanding autism was you can read about autism but it's very hard to conceptualize what that actually means for a person and I think until you actually talk to people who have autism you get a really a much better understanding of what does that actually look like how and that could be just because of how my brain works and how my brain understands people but you know so we know for example autism can affect social and communication or some behaviors or sensitivities or focus on things can create anxiety but actually that feels quite broad and but knowing individually well what does that actually mean so like you said I think sometimes people just have this sense of just finding relationships difficult or not really always understanding or maybe misinterpreting social cues or like you said or body language and and they're just being a bit of a difference and I think if you're a person that recognizes that in yourself it sounds like you were and then talking to someone else that has autism that said the same thing I guess that sort of brought up a feeling in you of should I look into this a bit more or what was that experience like it's really interesting that because although people might listen to me on the podcast and see my social media I might think yeah but it's all right for you Mark because you've got x amount of followers you speak a lot you must be fine mm. but this is like a part of the masking to yeah. try to overcompensate for something that I struggle with 
yeah. to try to connect with people in doing that. And yeah, that's probably one of the things that I really struggle with. Yeah. Despite like obviously doing this podcast, etc. Mm. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because I guess as a being diagnosed as an adult throughout your life, you've learned ways to be to or to manage how it how it is for you so that you people don't recognize it or it's harder for people to recognize it but I guess you feel it and it's how you interpret things that without other people without you saying well I you know that's what I do because I'm sort of overcompensating or masking or trying to adjust how I behave to to fit in I suppose yeah yeah exactly and it it can come across like some people probably recognize it but just thought i'm just being rude or difficult mm. like for example like you could walk into a room and i can be fine i could talk to people but then it's like a battery it's just like a battery just being drained really quickly mm. and then it goes empty and then it becomes a struggle and then there's a period of time afterwards where you kind of need to retreat and kind of recharge and if you're exposed in that environment for like a long time you know if you work or not it becomes it's kind of harder to hide that yeah. makes sense yeah that does make sense and it's harder to sort of mask it so you have to then be honest but like I said at the time years ago I, I just didn't realize why I was behaving in a certain way or acting a certain way or reacting to certain things in a certain way so when you had that so when you have that feeling of like almost like a battery being drained and it gets harder and harder what 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 did that mean for you did that mean that you would felt like you would withdraw did you notice that I don't think I consciously noticed it I think I just it's kind of like you're melting inside, if that makes mm. sense. And everything's kind of shutting down and it's going fuzzy. Mm. And it's you just feel like you're kind of going through the motions. Yeah. Like the world is going on, but you're kind of stuck in yeah. a place. And everyone else is moving and you're still stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to sort of recognize with autism and the, maybe the difference between autism and an anxiety or a social anxiety or is that it, it's a difference in how your brain is processing what's going on so you're not shutting down because you're feeling anxious although it can make you feel anxious you're shutting down because your brain is overloaded with s stimulation and you've reached your kind of max level of what it can tolerate yeah yeah exactly and yeah I mean just listening to like Blair and he kind of his, his experiences mm. just you know, really spoke to me well, the first time I just thought, you know, that sounds exactly like me, mm. what he's saying. Mm. But because I present in such a way, like people will just think that I'm just quote unquote neurotypical mm. or just being rude or just being difficult or mm. not paying attention or, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's one of the difficulties is that you see it a lot in schools and so it's even harder as an adult I'd assume and you get that message a lot from a very early age so if you behave as a child outside of what's perceived to be the norm rather than as an adult thinking what is going like might there be something different that's going on for that child in terms of an and adult in terms of how they're understanding the situation they just get told to behave a certain way yeah or there's an assumption that that person or that child is just being difficult, like you said, or rude or withdrawn or, you know, hasn't been taught things in the right way. And actually, it's nothing to do with that. It's the fact that their understanding of that situation or their experience of that situation is different. And so maybe we need to learn to recognize that individuals' experiences of situations are different, which make them behave in a different way. But it's not to do with and it's not right or wrong. It's just understanding it's different. That's why it's a spectrum. Yeah, I know we can get into the conversation about how it presents in children and mm. the things in place now to help kids. But I think 
for me growing up, it was wasn't no. recognised in that way. No, and not at, even all. when I go back and think about things that happened at school or growing up, mm. it kind of makes sense when I sort of join the dots. But they didn't know it, and I didn't know it. Mm. So it's a it's a challenging one. When you realised it, or maybe when you had that conversation with Blair, what was that like? I didn't say it to him at the time because it was his conversation. It was his moment. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of felt like, it's hard to say, I just knew, like I heard it. I was like, that's me. That's mm. the reason why I am. And mm. I just knew it. Mm. And sometimes then it can people might think, oh, okay, you've just convinced yourself into such and such. You know, it's so easy to be like, I've got this. I'm going to mm. Google it. I've convinced myself. But mm. I just knew it was. And then... You know, we'll, we'll get into later the conversation about how I did the diagnosis and it was confirmed. Mm. But I think in my gut, I just I just felt like he was talking about my life. Mm. And that was quite hard to, to process as well. Yeah, I can imagine it is. I think, I think your experience is quite a common experience of adults diagnosed with autism because you are, you know, because also you've learned the world and you've learned to understand the world in a certain way. And then all of a sudden that understanding is shifted. And yeah. in, in the long run, obviously, well, I mean, we'll talk about that. Hopefully it, it makes life easier in some ways because you know, but there's a definite transition period that you have to go to where you're going through this sort of stage of what I thought, the way I thought I understood the world, the way that I now understand the world based on what I now know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got a particular way, especially like with ordering stuff. Right. Like with clothing and things like that, or just yeah. very particular. Yeah. And I forget the way the, t- the phrase we use, but I always just thought like, why am I like that particular? Do you know what I mean? Okay. But then I saw like a documentary of Chris Packham and that's mm. one of the things that he does. He's autistic. Mm-hmm. Like routine. Not routine, but just having things in a certain way, like color coordinated, facing the same way, very like attention to detail type yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And it really stressed me out when I see like other people's stuff like other way. But you know, you know, it's like when you've got to have kids, like you just have yeah. to let you've got to let all that go. <laughs> <laughs> Any like sort of feeling of having a clean house, tidy yeah. house, you just you've just got to let that go for years. Yeah, you do. You just like just try not to pay any attention to it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's bad. So yeah, it was, it was that kind of thing. The over-talking, over-explaining things that Blair did as well. I have mm. a tendency to do that. Mm. One of the things for autistic people is that sometimes if people ask them questions, unless it's a very specific question, they can kind of really go off on a tangent, which mm. is probably why I'm good at podcasting because I can just keep talking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's a superpower, you see. <laughs> it is. And that's the thing, though, like can be a superpower. And I think it's just the way that you look at it. You could either become a limiter or become a superpower. Mm, I think 100% I'm with the superpower camp because, you know, we don't want everybody to think about things in the same way. We don't want everybody to, you know, it's what makes the world great is that we have diversity and diversity in thought and in understanding. And just because it's not the, the typical way, like that doesn't mean it can't be great. I think, you know, there's so many exceptional people have an autistic mind because of what that means for them, you know, because of the ability to hyper-focus or because of being able to do things that if you have a typical mind, you, you just can't do it. You just don't see the world in that way to even be able to start to do it. So I definitely, I'm definitely team superpower even though I completely understand there's a lot of things that maybe make life more difficult 
So not sort of taking away from the fact that it can make life challenging in other areas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me personally, I think where I've struggled in relationships and communicating with people mm. in terms of ma- maintaining relationships and things like that, mm. that has been the, one of the causes of sort of challenges for my mental health. Mm. And I think once I realized that she was autistic, but it was just like, oh, I'm not broken. Because before I mm. thought there's something wrong with me and I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. But now I know what it is. I'm like, okay, well, now I know what my limitations are, what my strengths are. At least I can manage it. So when I'm going into a situation now, if I'm like, this is going to be longer than such and such, I'll let the person know if, within reason. Mm. Or I just make allowances for myself so I can make sure I've got enough energy to do it correctly and give myself the space afterwards to kind of recharge. Because before yeah. I just didn't know. Yeah. Exactly. So now that you know and you understand, you can then start to work out what you need in order to help you get through those situations that maybe are more challenging. Yeah. But like years gone when like the Mental Health Awareness Week was happening, you know, I would be like, yeah, there's periods of like low mood, but I couldn't pinpoint what it was. And it wasn't Mm. to do with how I was brought up or other things. It was just, Mm. I just couldn't figure out what it was. But now, like I said, like now you know the reasons why through what we've spoken about, it it sort of clicked. Yeah. And I think that that's happening more and more now. Certainly my experience in practice is the way that I was trained is that, yeah, you know, looking at reasons why in the here and now in social situations or in things that happen growing up, why a person is struggling. But I think there's also exactly what you just said. We need to also be looking at, well, how is the world being interpreted and does that is there any neurodiversity that might be even adding to the difficulty or the struggle? So it's something now that is much more in the forefront of my mind. I think that there's much more neurodiversity out there than we're even aware of because we, because people, adults who have been raised not knowing that they neurodiverse have developed the the skills, if you like, to to mask. And then also there's a lot of experts out there that haven't been trained into helping people identify it. So we make assumptions, you know, assumptions about anxiety or in social situations, like, yeah, you know, well, that happens. But I think if you're, maybe if you're getting help or if you're a practitioner that you're seeing someone and things just don't seem to be, you know, there's still, there are still struggles, even if you work on the anxiety or, you know, particular things from growing up, then from my experience anyway, I think it's, it's always helpful to be thinking, what else am I missing? What else are we not seeing in this picture that might really help this individual? Yeah. And I totally agree with that because I think sometimes it's so easily to be not missed, misdiagnosed is the wrong word, but kind of mislabeled Mm. as something, which Mm. is basically a result of being potentially being autistic or something else that you know yeah might, might be the, the root cause yeah and and then it, it gets stuck there and like you're saying then you just keep going around in that loop yeah and i think yeah professionals are not having to go but like just need no. to have a yeah. to recognize where that is and- i totally agree i totally agree you know i've seen people who have been in mental health services really really struggling with their mental health for you know 8 10 15 years plus then got a diagnosis of autism and then completely changed how they felt about themselves and how they understood their situation and but it took a long time you know and the difficulty then is also because you because they've been in a system and been labeled everything under the sun then there's also sort of trying to work through all of that as well so it's not to say that those other conditions haven't been a problem you know high anxiety low mood and things like that that's not the 
thing that really should be the priority. The priority is working with the person to help them understand their world so that then these other, you know, symptoms and things can be managed or, you know, to help a person understand so they can manage it better. Yeah. Like you said there, it's just once you've had all those past experiences, it's hard to just discard it. And then you're kind of in this position of like, oh, I know what it is. But then it's like, you've got to forget, not forget, but also recognize what's happened in the past and be Mm -hmm. like, well, that label or that story wasn't Mm -hmm. actually true. Mm -hmm. And it's just when it comes up, having to be conscious of separating where you are now to, to where that person was then. Yeah. It's not easy. No, not at all. And it also, you know, depends on where on the spectrum it lies. And when we talk about autism as a spectrum, it's not a linear, you know, I don't see it as one line and you're at either one end or the other or somewhere in between. I see it, you know, that's why when you see pictures and presentations of the spectrum, it's a circle and you can be various points within that circle of different things, of different, you know, where your needs lie, whether greater or, or lesser. And if executive function, like um, the way that your brain understands and interprets the world around you is something that's difficult for you because of the autism. And then you've been told for years and years and years, oh, there's this or it's this or it's anxiety or it's this. Then that obviously impacts how you see things and it's you can't just undo it and forget about it. Like you said, you can't just go, oh, okay, well then I'll ignore all of that stuff that happened to me for the last 10 years. Like, of course that has an effect too. So working through that can be challenging yeah i mean a prime example is like when you tell people that need to know like close to your family and i, and I won't name and shame them but i've had experiences mm-hmm. where you tell people about it and they're like oh it's not that bad you're mm-hmm. fine or we're all a little bit mad and you're, like, <laughs> that, you're not really listening to my lived experience because i'm having to forget a whole sense of lies that i told about myself which aren't true you mm-hmm. can't just like drop it and just go skipping in the sunset yeah yeah so that feels really like you're not being heard and understood and or valued yeah your experience is really devalued yeah i mean not that you want to stay stuck where you are but exactly you less you you know i know i know that what the impact was mm. and how heavy that was to carry mm. and uh yeah it, it's good that i don't have to carry it but it doesn't mean you just instantly drop it yeah yeah exactly no exactly and and it is important for people to recognize that because I think if you don't recognize it or if you do just sort of brush it under the carpet and just say to somebody, oh, well, you know, you're fine now. It's like, well, that really becomes part of the problem, doesn't it? Actually, you need to really understand and think about this other person's worldview. And of course, you know, I think I probably do it more than a lot, but just because of what my job is and because that's what obviously I've been trained to do. But I think if we all did it a little bit more, actually just tried to really hear someone's, what someone's saying rather than brush it off and make it okay, then that might help us to make the world a bit easier for everybody. Yeah, but not everyone has your therapist face though, Joe. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> it's a special kind of therapist face I do. <laughs> I was doing it right then. I was doing it right then. You could you could hear it, couldn't you? You could hear that sort of that frowny. I could sense it for the voice, yeah. Sorry, went into therapist mode. I can't help it. I can't switch it off. It's part of me now. 
Ah, that, that's, that's what it is. What it is. Um, <laughs> I, I know I've gone on about Blair's episode, but if anyone wants mm. to listen to it, it's episode 111. Mm. And yeah, it's interesting to, to listen back. And like I said, just, I guess the summaries from the points from that was that he seemed like, you know, neurotypical from presenting, mm. you know, he's successful in his job, you know, but he struggled in relationships, sometimes misread things or facial reactions and breakdown relationships and these are kind of things that I can relate to I mean there's so many other things within the spectrum mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I haven't gone into and like I said before if I've not said it but like everyone presents differently and my experience isn't what everyone else's experience is so even I have to be mindful of listening to other people on the autistic spectrum and you know be mindful of what they're going through as well absolutely yeah absolutely and I think when you get diagnosed as an adult there's an assumption we that like you said, it, it is a huge spectrum and there are, and it can go from, you know, so difficulties in communication. It can include being able to talk and being able to seem like you're holding down a, a really high power job, but really, really struggling within that in terms of what it takes mentally to be able to get through a day, which is completely different to what it would be for somebody that was neurotypical. So I think you're absolutely right in in highlighting that, you know, that's why it's really good to talk to people to understand to really try and listen when people talk about their experiences of neurodiversity because it's different but every equally valid of course yeah 100 percent. and i just want to talk about a the process of getting diagnosed as well before we mm-hmm. kind of move on to kind of support mm-hmm. when i spoke to blair he kind of gave a couple of examples of the charities to reach out to and i know he went privately um if yeah. you're in the UK, I know you can reach out to your GP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't speak for internationally, which I did. And I also reached out to yourself to recommend Alongside Autism, which is a, I think, yeah, specialist that sort of do it, uh, do assessments for, for adults as well, because there's not really a lot of places that do assessments for adults. Yeah. Well, uh, alongside Autism, I only do assessments for adults. My understanding is that they, they don't do assessments for for children and young people, but there are you know, other other services that do. But yeah, as you said, first port of call, you could go to your GP. Getting diagnosed as an adult, that's the other reason why, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about autism. It's really hard to get a diagnosis, especially if you haven't got private health cover or you don't pay privately doing it through the NHS. I don't even know, like, how long that would take. I think it would probably take years, if I'm honest. Um, it, took, it took a while. I mean, like, I got uh, my call probably months after I did it privately yeah yeah so um so I think it kind of the, the difficulty with the NHS and the services will it, it was it would be like a bit of a postcode lottery depending on where you live depending on what service is available as to how quickly you're seen how long that whole process takes but if you are able to go and see there's there are also like really great charitable organizations like the National Autistic Society that even if they can't provide you with an assessment, they have great resources. And then if you are diagnosed, you, like going to those sort of organisations can be really, really helpful as well. I think, yeah, there's definitely they can provide you with like support groups in your local area to, to help out as well. Yeah, yeah, they do. They, they've, obviously, I think it would it depends on what your needs are as to what they can provide. But there are, you know, day centres, groups they can provide potentially even one-to-one support if it's needed so it's definitely worth inquiring about I would say if you if you're wondering or if you're struggling it's always you know reach out there are services out there it's just it it might be hard to find but they are there 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's something called the Autism Spectrum Quotient, which is the AQ test mm-hmm. by Simon Baron Cohen, mm-hmm. which you can find online. Mm-hmm. And I did that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And when I actually did my assessment, they did like a version of that. So mm-hmm. I'll just give an example of what assessment looks like. It's not just like you go there and you go, I think I'm autistic. And they're like, okay, you're not looking at me that you're autistic. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more comprehensive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's quite a few like interviews and there's quite a few tests that you've got to take and you've also got to get people close to you that you know, that know you quite well to take the test yeah. to recognise some traits in you. So it's not just you like gaming the system and be like, what is the worst answer? Okay, I can give it to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is comprehensive and it's because because of the you know because neurodiversity is broad and and our understanding of it like I said is always growing and it's more than it's different to having a diagnosis of anxiety or having a diagnosis you know you go and see a psychiatrist or you go and see a GP and you know you fill one questionnaire out and they say okay yeah it looks like it's there's much more to it than that it's much more comprehensive and and they do look at your experience you know how you how you were growing up as well and how you experience the world and they'll often go to friends or close relatives if they can to get more information to help make that diagnosis so um so also they make the right diagnosis for you as well because even within the the um spectrum of neurodiversity there's more than just autism for example yeah ADHD, this, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it definitely goes a lot wider. Mm-hmm. And I've got a shout out to, alongside Autism, Howard, who did the assessment for me. <laughs> um, he actually did a pre-assessment first just mm-hmm. to to work out whether he thought I potentially would be because obviously it's, it's an investment. And mm-hmm. I thought that was quite a nice touch because obviously it's quite expensive. I had to pay for it at my own pocket to do it mm-hmm. rather than, because I didn't really want to wait for the NHS because I think it was just one of those things that are burning in your head that you just need to know. Yeah. I'd rather just pay the money to just get it done. Yeah, yeah. But thankfully he gave me a pre-assessment and he was like, well, based on this, it suggests, I'm not saying you are, but it suggests, and I think we should c- continue to explore it. So that was helpful as well, rather than spending the money and, you know, and not, not being autistic and then being like, okay, what do I do next? Now what do I do? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, and that's, a really lovely thing I'm pleased they're able to do that and I think I think a lot of services will do that or at least sort of um they'll ask questions as to what's making you wonder why you might be and so that I you know they're not out services are not out there to just take your money or rip you off in general you know I think mm. we, and it's a, it's a very valid worry of course it is and because they can be quite costly and you don't want to like you said pay out all that money and then be told actually I can't see that this is something that you're experiencing and then it's and then you can leave feeling quite lost so yeah so that's really good if they do that and at least then while you're waiting you sort of have a feeling as well of I am doing what I think is the right thing yeah and they're very supportive like during that process as well and Mm, mm. give lots of resources and things like that and I know we'll go on to kind of like the the post-diagnosis support but I think just to give a little bit of context to this as well is that I mean, afterwards, mm. you know, you feel, I felt good to know, but then there was a massive sense of shame. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do I even tell anyone on social media? Do I talk about it? Do I? Mm. And I had went through that massive period of like, not wanting to uh, acknowledge it. Mm. And one of the reasons probably why I'm talking about it, not to get likes or to get other people's approval, mm-hmm. is mainly, I mean, probably 25% for myself, mm-hmm. but 75% even more, for my son who is mm. potentially 
showing signs of autism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I just thought like what kind of person would I be showing him as an example that I was scared to talk about it I was scared to acknowledge what it was and what it wasn't mm. and not live my life because I've spent half my life up to this point thinking of something else what mm. I wasn't uh, and I don't want him to go through that same thing so young in his life I want him to be the best version of himself yeah and know that like it's not a handbrake you know it can actually yeah. like we said be your superpower or it could be your limiter depending how you look at it mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. And I'm so pleased you got to that place as well. And I think, you know, yeah, sometimes having kids and things, they do make us really reframe things. I think, but this, you know, your initial feeling, of course, is a process to go through and a way of um, learning and understanding. But I think what you're saying there is, it is um, when we, when we see it and we want other people to experience it in a certain way if we're not doing that to ourselves it's worth asking why not you know so um you know if you're if you want to encourage your son to do it and you're experiencing it yourself then why not just say yeah this is me like and there's not to- absolutely nothing wrong with it it's just my way of experiencing the world and I've got certain superpowers that you haven't so no 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 I've got a red cape <laughs> yeah <laughs> you haven't sucker <laughs> It's like a cake that doubles up as like a COVID mask. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just showing off. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, I, I, like I said, like, I, I don't underplay it. I mean, there were periods of time where it's like, I'm not quite sure, but I think, like you said, kids are a great way to help give us a mm. bit, bit different perspective. But I think even in this whole process, regardless if you've got autism or not, or you're neurotypical or mm-hmm. neurodivergent, mm. like sometimes it's the stories that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. and we get in the way of our own our own selves. And you speak to people that may have potentially less than you, but they're not in their way as much mm-hmm. and they just live their life. Mm-hmm. What do you think the difference, how do you think they're able to do that? What do you see as a difference? I think they've accepted quicker or not quicker but they've accepted what they are and what they're not mm-hmm. and realize that what they can and what they can't control mm-hmm. and i think sometimes you've got more options you just think you're in control of more things but when i think things are taken out of your control you realize actually you need to focus on what you can control mm-hmm. and then you then tell less kind of lies yourself less yeah. stories yourself yeah. um, and i'm not saying that we can like i'm gonna fly do you know what yeah. i mean i'm not gonna fly yeah. Um, I've I've <laughs> I've got over that in my early thirties. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, side, but yeah, I think it's just getting out of your own way, and I think just being able to be more cognizant of, you know, um, things that they can they can't control. I don't know. If, what do you think? I think what you said is sounds right. I mean, it, it, acceptance, and I think my son is going through the process of being diagnosed as having ADHD, and as soon as I, I've always I've always felt like there's a I can see a difference in terms of how he understands the world. But you always get people that say, Oh, you know, but you know, they're just a kid or they're just a boy or that's normal or I've always felt like I can feel a difference and but he already at the age of eight developed great ways of masking in school and I really had to kind of push to get some extra support and get some help for him. The second he was, you know, we talked to him or I've talked to him about ADHD, what it means, what it what it might mean in terms of, he was like, 
massive sense of relief. He was like, wow, you know, I always saw myself as the odd one in the room, the odd guy, the one that um, I didn't really fit in. And I don't, I don't look the same as others. I don't feel the same as others. The second he had that understanding of it completely changed him. Confidence went up because he was like, I see, he doesn't see, I don't see anything wrong in his way of understanding. It's just knowing that his way of understanding is different. And as soon as you recognize that, it's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong. It is a total superpower. You're, you know, you're more creative. You're this, you can do so many things that other people can't with that energy. But as a society, I think we're sort of we try and restrict and conform and it's like if a behavior is out of the box it's not right it's not this it's not normal whereas actually it 100% is and he's fully embraced it because he's young and you know it's like well no I get it it's fine nothing wrong with me like if you can't keep up with me that's your problem kind of thing I want to be like but I think as an adult it can be harder because you have exactly what you said that sense of shame that sense of you have to go through a phase of feeling quite uncomfortable to then start to emerge out the other side, if you like, and recognize actually, well, this is me and it is how my brain works and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And if you have a problem with it, then that is actually something that you need to, even though that's very difficult for you experiencing it, you as the individual with autism is experiencing the other person, there's actually nothing wrong with you. But that that, that is a big big step in acceptance that I think a lot of people may it maybe in society haven't reached yet thank you for sharing that that's like I've got so much on that but no thank you that's that was amazing to hear and two things I want to touch on so I guess the thing with the society aspect as well like you're saying and and you know as well as a, as a parent it's just like you you raise your kids and then you get other people's expectations mm. and dealing with that and like should they act in a certain way da, 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 mm. and they kind of focus it on you like you should be doing something or something mm. wrong there mm. and and it's great that you had that sense of what what potentially could be and then to get it checked out. And the thing that I loved as well is that, like you said, at that age of being eight now, he won't have to go through his life thinking, oh, I'm something wrong and I'm having to mask. I'm the odd guy. Yeah, I'm the weird guy in the corner. He actually used to say that to me. I'm the weird guy in the corner, mum. I just feel so different. And, you know, it's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Absolute, like you, an, an individual difference mm-hmm. is what makes us wonderfully human. Like we don't all need to be the same and want to be the same, but he obviously got that strong sense in the classroom, like that I need to conform and he developed a really good way of masking it at school, but then would come home and just be like erupting. Can't, like, you know, because all day he'd spent trying to keep a lid on it all. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's a learning process. And I've probably been that judgmental person, you know, 10, 20 years ago before I became a mum that would look at a kid that's going bonkers or look at a child that's different and think, hmm, is that the kid or is that the parent? You know, so I'm not, it's not, I'm not blaming anybody. I think it's just something as a society we need to learn about in ourselves and try and do better. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, hearing that has been really powerful as well because like you're saying, I think, especially before having kids you have this idea of like what it's going to be like mm. and I think once you become kids and you go through situations like that you become a lot more open-minded and we especially see things happening mm. not just your kids but other people's kids yeah 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 absolutely and I think you know so 
that's why it's so important as well for adults to speak out, like you said, even though it's really difficult and takes a massive amount of courage to, you know, because you've, there's such a huge transition, there's such a huge shift you have to go through in yourself. Um, so as well, you know, I think it's amazing that you're sharing it. I thought it was totally fine if you didn't want to share it also because it's you and it's your life and it's up to you what who you share that with. But if you feel like, actually, no, for my kids, it's the right thing to do. Then... Oh, I'm like, I, don't, I think every ounce of me in my body like that wants to hide says yeah. don't share it don't yeah. tell anyone but then like I said I, I come back to like my son and I think you know mm. if I can't be okay with me as I am except me for all of myself and lose that shame then what yeah. am I passing on to him yeah you know so um kids are a great way to help you grow more than you probably realize at yeah. the time so a hundred percent yeah because I think it's really easy for us to say oh, you know, but it's totally fine. And But then when it's you that's experiencing it and you're like, oh, but then it really, it really doesn't feel comfortable to say it when it's me. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's different. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, good for you. It's amazing. Thank you. And like I said, like we've spoken about some of the traits here and I kind of just want to kind of just close slightly on the fact of like, like we all have like, mental health where it's good do you know what I mean or it's higher it's lower yeah. and I think for me now that I know this yeah. part of myself it's actually I don't say normalized but it's kind of shot up by having exports because now I know those things that kind of got me down mm. were because of being autistic not because of other things happening yeah um and not saying that your life gets better and you just go skipping the sunset but like <laughs> it's before I just didn't know why I was the way I was yeah yeah, you know I, that's why I sort of hesitated talking about mental health before because I was like I don't really know what mine is or where it's at type mm. thing to be able to speak publicly about it or mm. to advise people because that's the worst thing I don't want to be like you know this is my thing mm. you know this is what you should do because I'm not not there mm-hmm. I'm not the best person to speak about it so I'm just a guy going through my own experiences yeah but I think that's what people need to hear isn't it because I yeah. think there is no one size fits all for anything and it's just sharing our experiences and learning from ourselves and other people. And that's how we, you know, how we develop a much deeper understanding of things that are really important. And and yeah. that is what mental health is, isn't it? And it's our having a, you know, from the people that I work with who've had a late diagnosis or, you know, I've worked with people who weren't diagnosed, who then we worked together and I perhaps referred them or they got a diagnosis during treatment and then came back to me and we worked together. It, it does change things because it just deepens our understanding of you know what what's creating this anxiety or what's you know and we know what to do with it 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 might be because of masking it might just be because actually I'm totally overwhelmed by a situation like you said my battery's full I need to withdraw otherwise you know I'm I'm going to go downhill and it's learning that and having the time and space to do that which I think can be really helpful but unless you've been through that process of learning, you don't know what you need. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's both sides, obviously the, the person going through it and the person that's helping them Yeah. in counselling. Because yeah. like you said, you know, you've been in, I've been in situations where I'm just talking about things and now when I look back and I'm like, oh, that was because of this. Yeah. I struggled in relationship with this and I was just repeating the same things yeah. and not putting any context to it. Yeah. But they didn't know as well and I didn't know. And obviously go through that period of like anger, like, why didn't they know? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Why didn't they tell me? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> chances sure are they, they didn't see it either yeah. yeah exactly i'm sure if they they did know they would have told me but they just didn't have it you know sometimes you just don't have what you don't have so yeah but that's why like i said you know hopefully clinicians are getting more skilled up on it to help identify and i would never you know i'm not qualified to assess people but i know where i can send people and i like organizations like the national autistic society now do refer people to me but that's because once you have an understanding of what's going on then you can learn ways of adapting what to what a person needs but you need someone specialist to be able to do that assessment first to then, you know, to help inform the practice that you get or, you know, to help inform what intervention, what therapy you might get afterwards. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And one th- important thing that I really want to cover as well is it's typically a lot harder for women to get diagnosed because they are typically better at masking mm. than men. Mm. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's... um I don't know why they're better at masking, but I have seen, I, I, I don't know also, I don't know, because I see and I've worked with lots of women who have autism or ADHD and, and have had a late diagnosis. And I don't, and you know, I, I actually don't know why it goes underdiagnosed or it's less diagnosed in women. I don't know if it's because of stereotypes I don't know if it's also, yeah, because of their ability to, to mask it differently or, um, but it is. So I think if you're a a woman and you have that feeling of, you know, struggling in situations when you, you're not really understanding why, and it's, you know, maybe you sought help for anxiety and low mood and the world still doesn't particularly make sense. Um, then it's worth looking into. I think I don't know whether because also, you know, statistically speaking, I think professionals maybe look out for it more in men as well, because I don't think it is. I don't know if it is more prevalent, but the numbers are higher for for, um, presentation in men. But is that because more men have it or is that because it's less identified in women? You know, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? To mm. honest, I think there definitely needs to be more open ports of call for support. And I and like when I was trying to find an assessment, I found it quite difficult to find anywhere. Like I said, I went to GP. Mm. I went, you know, looked at the the charities route, and they suggested some people. Mm. And then a lot of the places were specialising for young people and yeah. adults. And yeah. then obviously the people with adults had massive waiting lists. Yeah, and it's not until I reached out to you and you gave me this tip to speak to alongside autism, which is when I could sort of move forward from there. So Mm. it's crazy how these things work out, you know, and I was sort of sitting there thinking my brain's like, who would know? (laughs) (laughs) Who's been on my podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Who have I spoken to in the past that knows about mental health? (laughs) 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 Well, I'm pleased that you came to me and I'm pleased that, um, you know, we were able to, find a find some people that would help and I love you know alongside autism I'll give them an, another plug because that's you know it's one of my old colleagues that um is involved and helps set up that organization she does a huge amount of work for autism and people adults with autism but you know I've heard from her you know NHS and non-NHS the work that she's done of how hard it has been for her to try and up the level of services that there are for people so um yeah, I mean, they're a great organisation. Hopefully, following on from this podcast, they're not going to be totally oversubscribed <laughs> and become one of those other services that you just can't get to see anybody. 
you know, if we keep shouting loud enough, then hopefully more services will pop up. Absolutely. I know this could be like a massive podcast and itself a massive question, but I guess for other people who kind of just recently diagnosed mm-hmm. um, as autistic, um, what things can they do to kind of get support based on living in the UK? Because I can't really do international. One would hope that if you go to your GP and speak to them, then you could get a referral to a mental health service. There is there is a difficulty with services in the NHS in that they try to put you into groups and if you don't fit within their certain criteria, you kind of fall between groups. So it is it's it's not an easy question to answer because um there's not a great amount of service provision. But I don't want to say there's nothing. I think doing things like looking on the BABCP, British Association of Behavioural Cognitive Psychotherapies Register, or the UKCP, which is the UK Counselling and Psychotherapist Register, I think it is. Or, you know, there's lots of directories basically online where you can look up registered, qualified therapists. And within that register, you can search for specialisms. And there are lots of therapists out there that have good training in working with neurodiversity and mental health problems and but it is a case of there's not a simple answer to that question because it's it does vary you know I'm sort of trying to think of the most straightforward way of accessing help and actually it's quite challenging you know you can go to places like the National Autistic Society there are some great online resources but I feel like I've waffled because the answer's not straightforward. Yeah, no, you're right. I think, and that's something that I've found myself, like there are obviously local groups, but obviously it depends on level of support and you've got different people in there that have different needs, requirements. Uh, There are coaches, there are therapists that you can do um, privately as well. But for some people that might not be a, a possibility. Yeah, exactly. So if you don't have access to money to pay privately go to your gp and they there are counseling organizations they're, they're primary care mental health services that are supposed to be able to provide between 6 to 12 sessions of therapy for people struggling with their mental health now every gp should be able to refer into these services problem is the waiting lists are quite long if you have private health insurance and you can go to your Um, insurance company and you can tell them about your diagnosis and look and then they should be able to look up and if you're just doing it off of your own back then it is a case of trying to do the research or reaching out to people on online you know I think Instagram has an amazing community for mental health professionals and neurodiversity so trying to reach out to people obviously you want to make sure that they're qualified but you know or reaching out to see if they've got any information that they can provide you know if I get for example questions i might not be able to provide the help but i'm quite happy to look into it yeah you know that makes sense obviously those are things that you can do wider but i guess as well in yourself i think for anyone that's going for this i think make sure you give yourself some time and space to yourself to kind of process it and yeah and also be mindful as well when you speak to people you may not get the reactions that you may want yeah so be prepared to accept that i mean i've had some amazing support from people that i haven't even known like i was speaking to someone and she shared that her daughter 
was diagnosed as autistic as an adult mm. and we had a great conversation about that and how she recognized it helped her recognize it in the process i went through that but then you speak to other people and they're just like like i said you're fine yeah you're normal you'll be right you get over it yeah yeah absolutely i think i just um i just realized i waffled for ages then and what you were asking me is specific information for individuals and i think what you just said is you just nailed it in that yes it's like give yourself the time and space that you need if you feel like you're able to share it and you know you want to share it then absolutely do that and but yeah exactly as you said be aware that some people totally great some people actually don't have any understanding and I guess if you do tell someone and they don't have that understanding you know some, something that I was told once um, you know, actually about getting support for my son is that sometimes it's not worth the fight to try and get people to understand if they don't understand they don't understand and you can expend more energy trying to get them to understand than it's worth so I always I found that really helpful actually in terms of like you want everybody to understand you want to kind of shake people and get that acknowledgement but not everybody's going to give it and so if you tell somebody and they're not super supportive and they kind of um, brush you under the carpet then walk away and remember that person is not worth sharing that information with Um, but I think time is is a great thing to give yourself time to process time to think about things time to understand what you want um, and talking to people that you trust and you know looking online for information and resources and kind of becoming your own expert can really help if you're able to do that yeah absolutely and i think sometimes we need to work with other people but sometimes it's so easy to try and look for stuff externally like on google but sometimes mm. we just need to sit down with a pen and paper and just be yeah. like what did i do here like how do i act here what could i try to do how could i try to help myself better so like if i'm doing work things i i will tell people that need to know like by the way this is the situation i might need such and such time just to kind of decompress yeah exactly if you have that awareness of you know that's what you need then 100 percent, like putting that into place i think i guess it is difficult until you, you kind of have to become your own expert i suppose in terms of understanding how and what you need and sometimes people are able to do that on their own and sometimes they need a bit of help with it but then once you do know what you need then of course like not feeling bad about giving yourself that time yeah 100 percent. and like i can only speak for myself i'm not saying this works for everyone across the spectrum i think each person needs to find what works for them uh, with the support that they have around them mm-hmm. and the tools that they have so if you're doing the best you can and that's all you can do really so i mm-hmm. i kind of don't want to preach to everyone and be like According to Marcus, this is what you should do. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that's how it came across. I totally, no. yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's it is it's difficult. Some people might be able to sit down and write about it. Some people might not be able to do that. You know, it depends on how affected certain, you know, parts of executive functioning might be. You know, it might be really hard for someone to sit down and think about it in that way. It might feel totally overwhelming, but some people might find it really helpful to do that. So exactly like you said, it's just, isn't there's no one size fits all at all. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, it's been great talking to you. Are there any final points that I didn't ask you or anything that you wanted to say before we kind of wrap this up? So I think it's really, you know, amazing that you're sharing your experience to, to you know, reach out and try and help other people. And I think the thing with neurodiversity is that everybody's experience of neurodiversity is different and 
you know, un- understanding that is the most, you know, helpful thing that I think we can do and that, you know, never assume that what we know is enough, never assume that what we know is right, always be open-minded to learning more and just listening to people and giving people the time they need. So I think, you know, what you're doing is a really good thing. Thank you. I think I've said that so many times, you're probably like sick of me saying that. <laughs> no, um, thank you. <laughs> It's been great talking to you again on a Runner's Life podcast. We're going to have to make it quadruple. <laughs> you find something else. You find something else like that you want to know about. <laughs> I don't actually have that much knowledge. I feel like <laughs> I think like I've got a bit of imposter syndrome. <laughs> no, definitely not. Always a pleasure talking to Joe. Thanks for being a guest on the Runner's Life podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and you want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life. If you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at Marcus underscore runs. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.